Welcome to the Way Church Podcast. The Way Church exists to love God, love others, and make disciples. You can find out more about the Way Church at thewaychurchrva.com. Now we hope you enjoyed today's podcast. 1 Timothy chapter 5, we're continuing our cultural church series, and we're continuing to ask the question, what kind of church is God leading this church to be? One who is influenced by the culture or one that influences the culture, because that's two paths that every church has to choose to make, one or two. And so the main text that we keep going back to is 1 Timothy 3.15, which Paul commands Timothy to correct conduct within the local church, which is called God's household. But today we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 5, and look at verses 3 through 16, so we got a lot of ground to cover quickly together. So if you are taking notes, you can title this sermon, The Lord Will Provide. The Lord Will Provide. And sometimes when we come to passages of Scripture, I feel compelled to, to do a little deeper dive into explaining what it means because there may be some areas that aren't as clear. This passage this morning is not one of those times. You could read this passage and know exactly what's going on, exactly what's being addressed, and exactly how to apply it. And so I don't feel as compelled to dig as deep in the meaning explaining specifically this morning, but to pull back a little bit and see the general, wide-reaching truth that is a foundation of what we see this morning. So what we're going to do, we're going to zoom in and see what the text is talking about, and then zoom out and see who God is and what he does and is doing. And so hopefully that becomes clear as we work our way together this morning. The goal I want us to leave here with is to know that God will provide. To know it. Because that changes everything. Once you know that the Lord provides, it changes how we approach every single circumstance in our lives. And so we've heard the saying, God helps them that help themselves. God helps those who help themselves. And that's in the book of First Opinions, chapter 1, verse 1. If it's in your, you know, don't look in your Bible, it's not there, right? It's just the saying we catch on to, we latch on to, and we're like, yeah, it sounds biblical, and it's completely not Completely the other way, matter of fact, is that we are called helpless. Psalm 23 verse 1 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I have what I need. All our needs are met in the Lord, and God's people are commonly referred to as sheep. And in case you didn't know, that's not a compliment. You aware of that? That's not a great thing. They're helpless. Dumb, right? Like This is not encouraging. But it shows the dependence that they have on their shepherd, who's the only one that can provide for their needs. The Lord is our shepherd, so we have what we need. And so throughout Scripture, we see that, the God, that God provides. But we see an especially strong emphasis on God's heart and for the fatherless and widows also known as those who are most vulnerable. You hear that again. God cares an emphasis, exceptionally more so, emphasized throughout the Bible, for those who are most vulnerable. He cares for everyone, provides for everyone, but those who are most vulnerable, there's a clear emphasis on. Psalm 68 verse 5 says that God is in his holy dwelling is a father of the fatherless and a champion of widows. James 1.27 tells us that pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, 
to look after orphans and widows in their distress. Which brings us to 1 Timothy 5, starting in verse 3. It says this, Support widows who are genuinely, genuinely in need. We're going to pause there real quick. This is important. So that support is financial support. Honor, your translation may say. Financially supporting those who are in uh, genuine need, actual need, real need. Which consequently means there are going to be widows who the church is not called to support financially. And this is hard being Christians who have been transformed by the agape love of Christ, that is, love in action demonstrated by God that we've experienced. Now we live out in action for the good of others. We desire to meet needs. And we see that Jesus demonstrated this agape love on the cross. Romans 5 tells us that at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. He died while we were sinners. He died for us. Love in action. And so we have this inside of us that we desire to meet all needs. And there's so many needs inside and outside the church that we can't possibly meet all of them. And so what we're going to see here is that the church is called to be generous. We. We're called to be generous, but also wise. Because our resources and finances are limited. Especially being a two-year-old church plant. Amen? Our resources and finances are limited. So we're to be wise and generous. And what's crazy here, to many people, Paul is going to lay out to what we commonly refer to in church life as policies and procedures. Is that shocking to you? People are so against policies and procedures because it seems anti-spiritual. But did you know that God's a God of order and structure? Policies and procedures aren't a bad thing unless they're a bad thing, right? Wisdom. And it's what we're going to see here as he lays out who are, is the church supposed to support and what widows are we not and so what we see in verse 4, he starts with those who we are not to support. Look at verse 4. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them learn to practice godliness toward their own family first and to repay their parents, for this pleases God. The responsibility falls on the family first before the local church. So if the widow has a family, that family needs to take up and support this widow. And as I tell my kids, listen, I've been changing your diapers for years. There may be a day where the shoe may be on the other foot. Or the baby wipe in the other hand, as it may. Just saying. Like, you better take care of me if I need to be taken care of. And just in case, we keep having kids. I don't know if you all know that. Keep having kids. One of them is bound to take care of us. But those who are in need, if they have family, that family is called by God to support them in this way. And it notice it says, this pleases God. This was God's aim. But we'll also see in verse 8, there's some strong language for those who don't care for their family. It says, but if anyone does not provide for his own family, especially for those his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So what's this saying? There are people who have not experienced the life-changing love of Christ, who still know how to love sacrificial for the family. 
How much more so for those who have experienced the sacrificial agape love of Christ should we be caring for sacrificially for our family? If they know how to do it, what a disgrace if we don't take care of our family. Worse than an unbeliever. And it's important what we see here is by the family fulfilling their responsibilities, it actually enables the church to then fulfill its responsibilities. Look at verse 16. It says, If any believing woman has widows in her family, let her help them. Let the church not be burdened so it can help widows in genuine need. Again, limited resources. So how do we walk wisely? Well, the family needs to step, step up and take care of its responsibilities. But then those who are in genuine need, that's when the church comes in and fulfills its responsibilities. So you see how those two things work in tandem. By God's design, it's amazing. But then in verse 5, we see widows who are to be supported. Look at verse 5. The widow who is in, truly in need and left all alone and put her hope in God and continues night and day in her petitions and prayers. All right, so let me stop there. Truly alone, truly in need. They have no family to take care of them. And a good example of truly alone is you go back to the book of Ruth and you see Naomi and Ruth, two widows who were in great need and yet God steps in and provides for them in various ways through various people. We don't have time to really dig into that. But know that this widow here in verse 5 has observable faith and is pursuing the Lord for her provisions. And then you see when it comes to supporting widows, Paul gets a little nuts and bolts with it in verse 9. Again, policies and procedures. Listen, I want to, y'all know this about me by now. I'm task-oriented. I love a good outline and structure. I love it. Verse 9, about these same widows, it says, Now, no widows to be enrolled on the list, that is a list for support, for support unless she is at least 60 years old, has been the wife of one husband, and is well known for good works. That is, if she has brought up children, shown hospitality, washed the saints' feet, helped the afflicted, and devoted herself to every good work. Again, these are just examples doesn't mean if she has no children and she shouldn't be supported. It's not what it's saying. They're examples. But it is saying three different criteria to receive support or to be put on the list. Notice one, you have to be over 60. It's amazing. Rachel and I, the last couple of nights, have been watching Golden Girls. Why is this amazing? Well, I don't know why I'm watching. First of all, that's amazing. Second of all, man, 50 back then doesn't look like 50 today. It's just amazing. So 60 isn't old by any means anymore. Not that it says it was old then. The 60-year-old requirement had more to do with what seemingly was retirement age and beyond being married. Does that make sense? So again, more vulnerable and needed support because of the culture. So this is not one of those things that we take and apply, okay, so are you a widow? Yeah, are you over 60, right? It's not the same, but the truth is there of being wise with our resources. So one, they have to be over 62, faithful to her husband, literally meaning a one-man woman. Okay? We talked about that a couple weeks ago with specifically elders. And three, she has to have a reputation for godly living and good works, known for these things. 
Again, we go back to what Jesus says in Matthew 16. Let your light shine men so they can see your good works and what? Glorify your Father in heaven. It's evidence of God's working in you, observable faith. And so it lists some practical examples, and these practical examples, if you're breaking down, are examples in the home, in the church, and in the community. And we come to foot washing. It's notable because that was a task for slaves. In their culture, that is. But we know Jesus flipped that around. It's really a sign of true humility and spiritual growth and maturity because Jesus said, as he follows me, let me show you what to do. Serve one another as I have served you. And then he washes their feet. Dirty, nasty, overgrown, toenailed feet. Y'all know what I'm talking about. It's a sign of true humility in serving. And so this widow has observable, observable faith and meets these requirements. Again, set aside or set up processes to be wise. The Bible calls it good stewards of everything God's given us. What we see here, the local church was meant to display God's nature, especially in this way in supporting widows who are in genuine need. But again, it goes back to, again, unsupported widows. So one, if a widow has family, they're going to be supported. If not, here's some criteria. But in verse 6, it goes back to unsupported widows again. What church, what widows are the church is not supposed to support? And it kind of goes back and forth. That's why we break up these verses to help clarify a little bit. Verse 6, however, she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command this also so that they will be above reproach. Again, the they is connected to the local church and who they support. But this self-indulgent is leading to, this is a woman who is pursuing pleasures through sexual satisfaction or sexual passions. And again, you see, this is in contrast to the widow whose life is above reproach that we just saw. This person was giving in and living in sexual sin. goes on in verse 11. But refuse to enroll younger widows for when they are drawn away from Christ by desire, they want to marry and will therefore receive condemnation because they have renounced their original pledge. This can be confusing. Let me speak to it just for a minute. Again, this is a warning of sexual sins seduction. And it's drawn away. It's drawn away from the life that God has called us to live in obedience to Jesus. Again, Jesus says in Luke 9, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. So it talks about this pledge. This is rejecting their pledge. seems to be a reference to faithful ministry that they once committed themselves to, maybe in order to qualify for care from the local church or, as we've seen earlier, to get on the list for support. And in verse 13, we see this. It says, at the same time, they also learn to be idle, talking about younger women, younger widows, going from house to house. They're not only idle, but they are gossips and busybodies, saying things they shouldn't say. Again, we see a contrast between the widow who should receive support and widows that should not. And so you hear this younger widow has time because the church is supporting, but too much time. And we see as a contrast to the older widow, who through prayer and good works spread love 
and creates unity. Versus here, you see younger widows through meddling and gossiping spread distrust and division. So instead of encouraging younger widows to be cared for by the church, Paul gives a different encouragement that is God-honoring. Look in verse 14. It says, therefore, I want younger women to marry, have children, manage their households, and give the adversary no opportunity to accuse us. For some have already turned away from, turned away to following Satan. And it's interesting because Paul is then reaching back to what Andy taught on a couple weeks ago about this false teaching regarding not being married as a form of godliness. It's not true. Again, we like to use scripture as commentary under scripture. It's a good Bible study mentality. 1 Corinthians 7, 8, 9 says, I say to the unmarried and to widows, it is good for them if they remain as I am, that is, single. But if they do not have self-control, they should marry, since it is better to marry than to burn with desire. So they should marry. That's God's design. This covenant of marriage is a beautiful demonstration of who God is, sacrificial, loving, and caring, and how a marriage is supposed to be representative of the gospel itself. Completely sacrificial to one another. Caring, loving. So marriage is absolutely a great thing, as God designed it. But don't miss this. Through all this, that is, being careful who we care for, God has an order for all to be cared for well. Specifically through the family and then the local church. So I wanted to zoom in just on that for just a few minutes. Maybe that was a little more than a few minutes. But we can't miss what's going on there because we are still called in the same way to care for widows specifically. But there's a general truth that is much more far-reaching, wide-reaching, that undergirds what we're seeing here. That is, God provides. God provides. So I want us to zoom out real quick, and it's going to be a little bit of a journey, but I don't want us to miss what we're getting at. The Lord will provide. In Genesis chapter 22, we see God tests Abraham. Doesn't tempt. There's a distinct difference. Doesn't tempt, but he tests. And he calls Abraham to go and take his one and only son in whom he loves. And sacrifice him. So Abraham takes Isaac, two other servants, and go. And on the way up this mountain, Isaac says, Dad, you know, I, I, we have the fire. We have the wood. Where's the lamb? Sacrificial offering was, was a, burnt, a, a lamb. Abraham's response was, son, the Lord will provide so they continue. And Abraham then takes his son, puts the wood down, puts his son down, and ties him down. And at the moment, he's getting ready to take the knife and plunge it into Isaac. An angel of the Lord steps in and says, Abraham! Abraham! And if anyone knows how men operate, you've got to say things at least two times, right? That's the way it goes down. And he stops. And he shows him that there's a ram caught in a thicket. So he takes the ram and sacrifice, 
the ram as a substitute for his son Isaac. And it says in Genesis 22, verse 14, that place where they stood, it says, Abraham named that place, the Lord will provide. You know, I enjoy good worship music and one of my favorite songs right now. It's a song called Jaira by Maverick City. Jaira. That means provide, or literally means the Lord sees to provide. The Lord sees you and provides. And notice it says the Lord will provide. It doesn't say can or did, but he will. That's now, it's tomorrow, it's next Tuesday. The Lord will provide. So let me just ask a series of questions, and we're going to break into this. So let me ask this to start us off. How will God provide? Just generally, this is a great question, right? Okay, I hear you, Josh, but how? That's fantastic. I hope that's true, and I want that to be true, because i got a whole bunch of needs going on. How? Well, I'm glad you asked. I'm going to give you three ways. One, posture. Two, prayer. Three, people. How does the Lord provide? Posture. That is trusting God to provide for your needs, also known as faith. Faith. God provides through your faith. So let's just raise your hands. Have you ever seen God provide through your faith? Anyone? Amen. You know what's great? Remember those times. Remember them, because we're forgetful. Remember how God has provided for you through your faith. And we see that in the supported widow who was faith, faith-filled. So posture, we see God provides through prayer. So again, who through prayer has witnessed God providing for you through prayer? Has God provided through prayer? Amen. Praise God. Now I see, you know, I can tell a lot about church backgrounds. The Baptists are like this. Pentecostals are like, yeah, breaking out with streamers. And Again, you see the supported widow here. Supported, but through prayer. So we have posture prayer, and God provides through people. God commonly answers prayers through people. So again, I'm asking you to raise your hand. Who has witnessed God's movement through God providing for you through someone? Yeah, isn't that amazing? Again, we see the, the widows supported through someone, their family or the church. At least they should be. God provides through a couple of ways that theologians call common grace and specific or special or saving grace. Special or saving grace. Common grace is this. God provides for people in general ways. And so Sam Storms, I'm just going to read, he has a good statement. He says, Common grace includes all undeserved blessings that natural man receives from the hand of God. Rain, sun, prosperity, health, happiness, natural capacities and gifts, sin being restrained from complete dominion, He says, the doctrine of common grace explains how a man can be totally depraved and yet still commit acts that are, in some sense, good. It's common grace. We all experience God's common grace, no matter your standing with God, just because who God is. But then there's saving grace. This is where God provides for people through his Son. We know this. This is John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And Ephesians 2, 8 tells us for you are saved, that is saved from God's wrath, 
by grace through faith. This is not of yourself, it is God's gift. God gives these, provides for these. So he meets temporary needs for everyone in general, common grace. But he meets the eternal need in a specific way through his son for everyone who believes. Saving grace. So God isn't unaware of the temporary needs, but he's more focused of the eternal needs and the eternal consequences. And I wonder if we are. But that's theologians. I'm not a theologian, so I'm going to add a third one. So I got the microphone, I can do that kind of stuff. So you got common grace, saving grace, but I'm going to add a specific grace. Specific grace. This is where God provides for his people through his people. Like that's what we see through our family, through the church, like what we've talked about. Throughout the centuries, we've seen God providing for his people, through his people. We've seen Acts 2 as this local church explodes. People are being saved, they're being baptized, they're being added to the local church, and they see that their needs are being met because they held all things in common and provided through giving of their possessions to anyone who had need. We see in Acts 1 where the widows were being neglected in the distribution of food, and so they came together and met those needs, God meeting needs through people. And as we've seen today, 1 Timothy 5.3, support widows who are genuine need. Meeting needs through people. God provides for people through his people. And this is the weight I feel this morning. Because as I was approaching this text, I was wrestling through all week until Friday. I got a little more clarity Friday about the general truth that God will provide and how it changes everything and how we handle everything. And so my question came from Friday with the overturning of Roe is one, is the church ready? A couple things. Is the church ready to respond to the people who don't understand and who are in opposition and are they ready to care for those who needed caring for? The people who think they don't have a choice. Women who think they don't have a choice. Are we ready to step in and walk, along, walk alongside these women? Are we ready? Just the church as a whole, but I want to talk to us. Are we ready? Yeah, abortions are still legal up to the third trimester in, say, Virginia. Are we ready to give women a choice, a true choice, where they don't think they have one. To choose life. That comes and starts with us as Christians, as in the local church. Is the church ready to be a place of support, hope, and encouragement? Let me tell you a story that maybe helps illustrate a point and a truth that we see. And hopefully I'll remember to go back to some stats. There's a story of this 18-year-old woman who's getting ready to graduate high school. A couple months before graduation day, and she becomes pregnant. And this girl, woman, has a future ahead of her. Getting ready to go off to college, scholarship to play volleyball. And then finds out she's pregnant. What does she do? Changes everything. Unplanned, obviously. Made a mistake, for sure. And so she tells her boyfriend... And her boyfriend do what many, maybe not many men, some men do. The guy says, I'll support whatever decision you want to make. Decisions, keep it or abort it. That's the decision, right? 
The man passively says, I'll support any decision you want to make. While that same man selfishly was rooting for abortion. Because that would have changed his life. That would have changed things he enjoys. That would have gave him responsibility and accountability for someone and he wasn't ready for. But he didn't voice it. He voiced it in passivity. Whatever you want to do, I'll support you. So this woman heard that. Then she goes to her friend. Her friend, just a few years prior to this conversation that they had together, had actually had an abortion. And her friend just told her how she regretted it, how grief-filled she was, how sorrowful she was, and how she wished she could have done something different. So here this one, this young woman, here's her boyfriend says that he'll support, not knowing what he's secretly rooting for. And here in the story of this friend of hers, and by God's grace, she decides to keep the baby. Not going to that college that she had her heart set on. Facing disappointment from her family. But that baby has a name. Name's Kylie, my daughter, who's now 19. This is Rachel in my story. So my 19-year-old now is following the Lord, getting ready to go into second year at liberty. And so that baby that I secretly rooted for abortion, the name and the future, and it's been a blessing to many. And I say that, saying there's, there's options. There's hope. There's support. The stats say that three-fourths of the time, the female will consult the man before they make a decision. Three-fourths of the time. The stats also say nearly half the time, the man supports abortion. Do the math there. What if we flip the narrative there? What if we actually trained men to be biblical men and stepped up and took accountability for their mistake? If you hear my story saying that by God's grace we are what we are, and by somehow he condoned our mistake and sin in the first place, that's wrong. But his grace was so amazing that he took our sin and transformed it something for his glory. And don't make no mistake that Satan still plays with me, even today, about that mistake I made. Because I was following Christ at the time, brand new baby Christian, but yet I did this and rooted for abortion. How does that happen? No discipleship. That's how that happens. I knew the gospel, didn't know the Lord well. Why do I have such a passion on discipleship? Because it matters. We need to know who God is so we can know who we are, so we can treat people with the love that God has for them. Regardless of the mistake and the mess they're in, we are to be gracious and show God's grace because he's so graceful. By God's grace, I am what I am. And we are what we are. 20 years this August, we'll be celebrating marriage. By God's grace. So how does a church be ready for this shifting of a culture that we may be seeing, something we've been praying for for nearly 50 years, starts in the home. Are we training men to be biblical men? It starts in the church. Are we ready to receive 
and care for those who feel like they have no hope and they have no options. There is hope. His name is Jesus. And are we ready to sacrificially support and love people who feel absolutely hopeless and that they have no future? This church, we're partnering with Richmond Pregnancy Resource Center. So if you have questions or need support, Richmond Pregnancy Resource Center is doing amazing work. But we are a church that needs to support those who are most vulnerable, that's the unborn, and those who are found themselves in an unplanned pregnancy. What are we going to do about it? When Abraham is on this mountain, he says this, names this place the Lord will provide. And he says this, it is said today, it will be provided, it will be provided on the Lord's mountain. It looks forward to one day that Jesus provides the ultimate provision that meets the need that everyone has. The most urgent need, that's lostness. That's being separated from Christ. Being separated from God. That's the most urgent need that everyone has. And we have to start there. Because without knowing Jesus, you don't know hope. Without knowing Jesus, you don't know joy. Without knowing Jesus, you don't know love. But knowing Jesus, it changes all that. We need to start there. The good news of God's grace. And when people come to us filled with shame, like I still have 20 years later, I feel shame for what I viewed abortion as 20 years ago. But I have to remember God's grace. And so let's be prepared to extend God's grace and be a church that cares well in this culture that's shifting and that's looking for answers and is afraid and don't know what's next. Let us be that source of comfort because we've received the comfort from God in Christ Jesus. So I'm going to invite us to respond this morning. I, I don't know. I don't know what that looks like in your own life. I'm going to call the band back up, and we're going to worship. But maybe your worship this morning is staying right where you are seated and just praying and pouring your heart out to God. Maybe it's praying for yourself. Maybe it's praying for someone else who's going through something that they need God to intervene in a real way. And we all raise our hands that we've seen God move and answer prayers through various ways, postures, prayer, and people. How about we pray for others who need that same God providing in those same ways that we've received his provision? Maybe that's our response. Maybe it's you. Maybe you're feeling hopeless, helpless, uncertain future. God will provide. God will provide. God will provide. We need to understand this. If you have yet to trust that the Lord did provide, saving you from sin, paying the price that we were meant to pay but couldn't, the result of sin, separation and death, God paid that for us in Christ Jesus. And by faith alone, in his work alone, you enjoy Christ forever and his grace and his goodness starting right now at this moment. So if you're looking for hope, looking for love, it starts with Jesus and it lasts in Jesus and it will someday, someday be culminated in Jesus fully and finally. So I don't know what God's doing in your life, but I'm going to ask you to respond. Through prayer, through praying with one another, maybe we'll have a prayer team on the side. Let us pray for you, pray with you, come alongside you, help you, resource you, equip you, whatever that looks like, respond to what God's doing in your life. And maybe we're just going to respond in singing praises because he is worthy and his grace 
is amazing. So let's respond. I want to pray for us. And then respond as the Lord leads you. Father, we come to you as a people who are so needy of you, Lord. But we are so thankful for the reminder how much we need you as our shepherd, as our provider, as our caretaker, as the hope bringer, the joy filler, the love giver, how much we need you. Lord, continue to shape our hearts for you. Help us to continue to trust more in you and less of ourselves because you will provide. No matter what tomorrow brings, the uncertainties and the the shaking and the shifting sand of the culture that we live in, we know that you will provide. So right now, I pray you to stir our hearts, that you bring refreshment in our souls, knowing that your grace is amazing and your love is unending. And we have new life in Christ Jesus. And we know that every sin that we bring to you, that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's remember your truths, Father. Continue to shape our hearts for you and shape our heart for one another. Lead us in response, Father. Lead us in worship. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Way Church Podcast. If you would like prayer or if you'd like to talk to someone about a personal relationship with Jesus, please contact us through our website at thewaychurchrva.com.